know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to an underlying problem. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theories to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to quadruple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights call 718-457-1426 or visit miningstocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters avino silver and gold mines is a low-cost high-grade producer with 27 years of operating experience in 2012 avino resumed production at its historic avino property and plans to be a multi-million ounce silver producer in three years Avino is debt-free, well-funded, and has Sprott as its largest shareholder. Avino recently listed on the NYSE MX Exchange, trading as ASM. Visit Avino online at www.avino.com. That's A-V-I-N-O dot com. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome back to the second hour of Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I want to thank our sponsors uh, for the second hour of this show uh, for making it economically viable. Uh, our sponsors uh, for this hour are American Manganese, Avino Silver and Gold Mines, Prophecy Platinum, and Millrock Resources. Well, we're back with uh, Adrian uh, Day and Paul Van Eden, and we were talking mostly about China this uh, first hour. would like to uh, talk about the effects that China may have on the commodity markets. Certainly, I mean, it's one of the uh, the big growth areas in the world is China. We, uh, I was in China last year and saw the huge amount of construction that's going on. The one question in my mind, I think, was hit on by both Paul uh, 
by both Paul and Adrian was this notion of malinvestment, the notion of, uh, yes, there's lots of buildings being built, but can they be paid for? Do they make economic sense? And when you have a command economy rather than a bottoms-up market-driven economy, chances are, in my view, you're going to have a lot of, a lot of problems along the way. That said, uh, it was pointed out that, that we've had huge numbers, uh, huge uh, kinds of problems throughout the development of the United States in the last couple hundred years. And so these things, these things happen. But of course, in the middle uh, of, of those major trends, we have to try to figure out which way things are going now. And we know uh, in, the, in the bond market is one I'd like to look at because uh, especially as people age, they had in the past been able uh, during their retirement years to depend on a certain level of income coming from relatively safe investments like U.S. Treasuries. Uh, when times were better and we didn't have to worry too much about inflation. But right now we're seeing inflation, we're seeing uh, bond rates, U.S. Treasury rates that are absolutely abysmal. They are negative if you look at the inflation rate that we have in the United States. So I'd like to, uh, to ask both of you, what are your predictions? How long are we going to see this bull market in the long Treasury uh, bond uh, remain? I mean, uh, we've had from 1982 to the present, we've seen a spectacular bull market in long-dated uh, treasuries in the United States. Uh, Adrian, would you like to pick up on that? Well, yeah. I mean, certainly, um, certainly, we're we're at the bottom. Um, sorry, let me let me put it another way. I wouldn't be investing in bonds right now. I'm not suggesting for a second, but I think interest rates have to start moving up sharply anytime soon. I, and in fact, I've been saying that for some time now. But certainly the idea of investing in a bond when you have a negative return um, guaranteed to you and no possibility or very little possibility of any meaningful upside uh, is, is preposterous. So I don't know why anyone would want to invest in bonds right now. No, well, uh, Gary Schilling certainly is, is a proponent of putting some of your money into bonds, and his idea there, I guess, is that we have uh, actual deflation in the cards. I, I don't know that uh, too many people believe that. Paul, what, what opinion do you have of the... U.S. Treasury? I think that the, the U.S. Treasuries can remain high for a while, and, um, but, but I think ultimately they have, to, they have to decline, meaning interest rates have to go up. Um, there are many reasons I think so, um, and, and the problem with, with what you're asking is, is that you, you, you may be asking a timing question, and I don't sure. have an answer for the timing question as to when interest rates are going to go up. Sure. But if we're talking about a value question, which is what Adrian answered, you know, would you buy bonds right now? I think it's a very clear answer. I would definitely not be buying bonds right now because you're not getting any yield. And if all I want to do is keep my money safe, there are other ways I can do that other than buying bonds. Um, but, you know, one of the things you talk a lot about on the show, uh, uh, Jay, is that there's too much debt in the, in the market, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's just all over you know, here, everywhere, there's just way too much debt. Absolutely. Well, the price of debt is interest rates. Because mm-hmm. the, the, the price of a bond and interest rates are the inverse of each other. Mm-hmm. If the problem is too much debt, the solution is lower debt prices, mm-hmm. which is higher interest rates. Mm-hmm. So I think interest rates are going to go up because there is too much debt. And yeah. that's, the, the, that, to me, is the fundamental driver behind higher interest rates. Mm-hmm. But I cannot and I have no sense of when we're going to see the transition from these historically and extraordinarily low interest rates to an environment where people are unwilling 
to lend at these rates, right. thereby driving, driving interest rates up. Mm-hmm. And the other side of that, Paul, um, and, and Jay's already referred to it earlier in his comments, is the dollar. You know, we're U.S. investors, and so many, so many U.S.-based investors simply think of, of a return they're getting priced in U.S. dollars. But you should also consider what that dollar's worth. And so with the amount of debt, it ties into what you said, Paul, about the amount of debt. Not only is there a lot of debt in the private sector, but obviously there's a lot of government debt. And if China, as was mentioned earlier, is buying less of that debt, and other people are buying less of that debt, even if they are still net buyers, they're buying less than they used to, who's going to buy it? Well, the answer, of course, of who's really buying debt right now is the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve has more debt as a percentage of total government debt today than it ever has in the past, as far as I know, mm-hmm. certainly more than it has in, in the recent past. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's a reflection of the fact that no one's buying it, and that's why interest rates are as low as they are, because if the Fed wasn't in the market buying, rates would have to move up to attract mm-hmm. buyers. Mm-hmm. That's well, right, so and the Fed is actually intentionally swapping rates at the moment. So, you know, they are uh, you know, selling short-term instruments and buying long-term instruments to try and keep long-term rates lower. Mm-hmm. So the Fed is not only in the market buying bonds to keep overall rates lower, they're also actively intervening on the yield curve. Mm-hmm. So when they see the curve change in ways that they don't like, then they will, they'll intervene very specifically to alter the yield curve, and they're doing that right now. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, the Fed is very powerful. Don't underestimate what they can do. But the market is more powerful. The Fed added, I don't know, Adrian, what is it, two trillion of new, two trillion to the balance sheet? But the market has, you know, 12 trillion of, uh, or actually, I'm I'm saying, I I should be very careful now. Um, If you deduct out intergovernment debt and so on, so so true market debt is probably closer to five trillion. Mm -hmm. So the market has five trillion of debt. The Fed has two two or three, well, actually it probably has three or four trillion of debt now. But my point is, is that if the market wants to uh, become aversion, create, uh, gets an aversion to the debt and the price of debt, the price of debt will change with or without the Fed. The Fed cannot fight the market. That, that's, that's really the point I'm trying to make. Because if the market starts forcing interest rates up, if the market is unwilling to lend at these rates, then the Fed can't go into the market anymore and just buy bonds because the market still won't lend at these rates. Mm-hmm. That's right. Well, That's absolutely right. And, and, you know, I think it's worth us pointing out the Fed's, uh, the Fed's balance sheet, as Paul mentioned, has gone up tremendously. Mm-hmm. Um, at the beginning of 2008, in fact, at near the end of 2008, it was just about $1 trillion, and it's now very, very close to three, in fact, uh, because, of course, they've just recently increased it by making loans available uh, by doing the swaps with the European Central Bank right. to help out on the euro debt pri- uh, problem. Mm-hmm. But even so, the Federal Reserve's balance sheet, when I say even so, the Federal Reserve's balance sheet is, is almost 20% of GDP. That is, that is absolutely astonishing. But it's not just the Fed. You look at the Bank of Japan, you look at uh, the Bank of England, you look at the European Central Bank. They all, all have central bank um, uh, uh, balance sheets that have equally exploded, uh, but represent, uh, you know, 20% in the case of Bank of England, but 30, 33%, 32% in the case of Japan and, and the ECB. 
So this is a worldwide problem, a worldwide situation of inflating, and I think we need to think about what, what the consequences of that are. Yeah. Um, That's any... an interesting point, Adrian, because that kind of falls in with, with what has with the transition that's happened. In, in 2008, 2009, when the U.S. went into the, the, the financial crisis and the Fed started with QE1, what had happened is that the normal, the normal method of, of creating money, which is commercial banks lending to the, to the economy, you know, mortgages, car loans, and things like that, that just about ground to a halt. And, and the growth rate in monetary expansion from commercial bank lending fell to pretty much zero. And the Fed came in with QE1 and, and uh, created monetary expansion to try and keep the, the long-term monetary growth rate positive. Um, but the U.S. banking system is lending again. It looks to me like the U.S. is through the crisis. And, and I don't think, therefore, that we're going to get QE3. I think we're done with QEs for now in the United States. But Europe is about two, three years behind the United States. And I think we are going to see more QE in Europe. And the interesting part that flows from that is that if that is in fact so, that the United States is not going to, the United States Federal Reserve is not going to continue quantitative easing, but Europe will, then that could weaken the euro relative to the dollar, or stated another way, that could cause the dollar to rally. Mm -hmm. And if mm -hmm. the dollar rallies, that has implications for the other things that we all like to invest in, which yes. is commodities. Commodity prices in U.S. dollars can come under pressure mm -hmm. if the dollar rallies because the U.S. is done with QE and Europe is just starting with their QE. Mm -hmm. Opinions on that, Adrian? Whoa, that's a big one. Um, let, let, let's assume that the U.S. economy is recovering. Let's just make that assumption based on what Paul said, and there isn't another QE. I think we, I, I, I would say that uh, even if we're not sure that the Fed is going to have another QE, we can be reasonably sure in the near term, based on Ben Bernanke's own statements, if nothing else, that they're not going to tighten significantly in the near term. What that means is that all of that money that the Federal Reserve has created in the last three years, but that didn't get into the real economy and therefore didn't, because the banks weren't lending and didn't cause inflation, now that the banks have started to raise that money, unless the Fed uh, has, has an exit policy, which they don't appear to, um, that money is eventually going to get into the real system and is going to cause inflation. So if we have inflation in the U.S., um, if we have inflation in the U.S., um, I suspect that even if the dollar is strong against the euro, which which I I would concede to use your own word, I'm not sure that the dollar is going to be strong against many other currencies, both the commodity-based currencies, um, particularly Canada. Not so much Australia. I think that's a little ahead of itself. Uh, but more particularly against the Asian currencies. You know, if you look at the Asian currencies, whether it's the Chinese currency, but also the Malaysian currency, Singapore, uh, Hong Kong, and so on, they are on any fundamental basis, meaning purchasing power parity and so on, they are anything from 30 to 35 percent undervalued relative to the dollar right now. So I think those currencies will continue to appreciate slowly, steadily, 
uh, even if even if uh, the euro is weak. Hmm. Interesting. So uh, I can hear your argument, Paul, about a stronger quote unquote stronger dollar putting downward pressure on commodities. But uh, Adrian, you're you, you're not in agreement with that, I guess. Well, I don't. I don't think it's going to be a strong dollar against all currencies. Mm-hmm. But in addition to that, you know what we've seen in the last few years, or what we've seen, although although the dollar is undoubtedly a big factor in gold, uh, for some of the last ten years, it's been the main factor for gold. But certainly, certainly, given that the price of gold is quoted in dollars, um, other things being equal, the dollar goes up, the price of gold goes down. But we've also seen in the last couple of years where the where gold has actually been moving up in in terms of all currencies. Mm-hmm. So I I don't think I don't think that the dollar going up against the euro in and of itself mm-hmm. is enough to end the bull market in gold. Particularly if the reason that the dollar is going up against the euro is because of euro euro lands problems. Mm-hmm. You know, if we get uh, if we get there's a there's, there's a it's easy to paint a horrible scenario in Europe. You know, you get the socialist win in France, and of course it was Sarkozy or Sarkozy who was, uh, you know, a proponent of closer of the bailout and so on. But you get the you get the socialist win in in France, which is likely. You get a government come in Spain, uh, their elections in May, and the opposition has already said that although they voted for the bailout, if they win the government, they intend to renegotiate. Um, they've already said that clearly and plainly. Um, so I, you know, I think you can easily paint a picture in Europe, which is one of further chaos, further bailouts, further riots, and so on. That would be bad for the euro, but wouldn't necessarily be bad for gold. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm interested uh, from hearing from both of you on, you know, the future of where we're looking at base metal prices primarily. One of the things that I believe very strongly, and I'd like to hear what both of you have to say about this, is that. During these major credit contractions, uh, gold seems to do very well in real terms. Whether gold goes up in nominal terms or not, to me, as one who invests in mining companies, is less important than when its real price goes relative to, uh, say, commodities. And we saw a very, a very sharp increase in the real price of gold relative, let's say, to the Rogers Raw Materials Fund, which is what I measured in in July of 2008 an ounce of gold would have purchased only 17% of the Rogers Raw Materials Fund. It rose dramatically to 44% by March of 2009. It's back a bit now, but it rose again to 47.5% after uh, the recent Greek crisis. It's come back a bit now to 43%, but the point is that the real price of gold has risen very dramatically, and the gold mining shares, the producing companies, have done extremely well, though their share prices have not reflected that. So I would like to get your uh, your opinion, both Paul and Adrian. Uh, where do you see base metals going in the next few years? Paul, I, I, so much of it seems to me, if you're right about China and there is a, a collapse in the real estate market, it would have ripple effects on everything. I would think there would be less construction and, and then maybe a lot of downward pressure on commodity prices. But, but I'd like to hear what both of you have to say, Paul. Yeah, Jay, I, I think that that sums it up. I think that Chinese demand for raw materials is going to start to soften, and that's going to have a, a material influence on the on the uh, demand and price of things like iron, coal. Uh, certainly, the, the the base metal sector, you know, lead, zinc, and aluminum. Um, 
you know, Jay, you've known me for a long time. I've been saying that uh, base metals are in a bear market now for, you know, maybe three or four or maybe even five years. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, if you look at a chart of base metals going back 10 years, you'll see that they peaked between 2007 and 2008. Mm-hmm. And even though some of those base metals are, are reasonably, high, reasonably close to their 2007 highs, or 2008 highs, and depending on which ones you look at, they're in a bear market. So mm-hmm. I, I think base metals have been in a bear market for five years, and I think that bear market is going to continue. And that somewhat explains the uh, rise that you're seeing in gold relative to base metals. Mm-hmm. But I think that that rise that you're seeing in gold relative to base metals could be the blow-off in the gold market as well. So I'm not bullish on gold. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly I think that the, uh, the slowdown in China and what's, what's transpiring in Europe, what has transpired in the U.S., is, is bearish for, for the whole commodity spectrum. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I want to hear more from you, Paul, on the gold and, and why you think gold is – you're not bullish on gold. But, Adrian, what, what say you about the commodities markets in general, let's say the base very metals markets? And one thing, uh, Jay, we must ask Paul what he does like, uh, where he is putting his money, since he mm-hmm. doesn't like stocks, bonds, gold, commodities, or anything. Well, yeah, we will get to that. Uh, do <laughs> but, you want to address that right now, Paul? And then... on, um, on, on the base metals quickly, as, mm-hmm. as, as we know, and as you know, Paul is well aware, there's two sides to the equation, of course. There's a demand and there's also the supply. And I would say that my bullish case for commodities long-term is based uh, just as much on the, on the supply constraints as it is on, on the demand. You know, in many, many commodities, whether it's gold or whether it's oil or whether it's... Um, uh, copper, you know, the easy deposits by and large have been, have been made and, and you look at copper for example, you know, we, we had record prices um, at the beginning of last year, record prices again, close to record prices this year, and yet what we saw was that the production of copper went down last year on, on a 2010 number that was already production number that was already a de, uh, itself a decline. So for two years running, despite record demand and record, um, and we can argue about the end demand and whether it's in stockpiles in China or what, but the plain fact is there was record demand, record prices, and yet the supply went down. You have to ask why that is, and, and, and I think it's not because there's a cartel of, um, of um, uh, copper producers who are trying to keep production down and prices mm-hmm. up. It's because mm-hmm. of the difficulties in inc- both in increasing production on an annual basis because so many of the copper mines are older mines, um, and older mines are more susceptible to disruptions of one type or another, and we, we've seen many of those disruptions in the last couple of years, both man-made and geologic, uh, geological, and also uh, in, in discoveries. Although we can point to new discoveries, Takataka in Argentina and uh, Ayatogo, of course, in Mongolia, um, but, but, but we can point to those, but we don't look at what's happening to the existing mines and the depletion in, in those assets. So that as a world total in aggregate, despite these new mines coming on stream, we still have fewer global reserves of copper, uh, proven reserves of copper, and we have lower production. So I'm, I'm equally concerned about the production side. Mm-hmm. All right. So the production side, the constraints against production could help to keep uh, hold prices up, perhaps even in a weaker market. Is that what you're suggesting? I think so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, certainly uh, on the on the commodities in general, um, with the base metals, you have a supply issue. You have less of a supply issue, I would argue, with gold, because uh, there is so much gold; it, it sits atop the um, 
you know, it, it's above ground uh, in vaults primarily. I think it was Larry Parks that pointed out there's something like 55 years of above ground gold supply. There's, I don't know, a, a few years of, of silver supply, and then you get to copper and some of those metals, and there's, you know, barely six months or so. Um, what about gold, though? Because, uh, Paul, you're, you're not so bullish on gold right now. Tell us why. Well, for several reasons, but one, I think the gold price just got way ahead of itself. You know, mm-hmm. the, the, the market flocked to gold because they have this uh, fear of, of inflation and hyperinflation and, and the devaluation of the U.S. dollar. And you know, again, if you if you look at this in a very long term, then yes, the dollar is going to zero, but it's probably not going to go to zero in my lifetime, and so I'm not too worried about it going to zero right now. Um, what I'm more worried about in my lifetime is, is gold's value relative to the dollar in a, in a shorter time span, let's say five or ten years. And in that type of time, time span, I think gold is, is ridiculously overpriced right now hmm. uh, be, because of the fear of inflation that I just don't think is going to manifest itself in, in that time frame. Um, the other thing is I think that gold still does trade uh, inverse to the U.S. dollar, and I think that we are possibly looking at a period that is going to be very bullish for the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the things, Jay, we didn't get time to talk about was the uh, explosion of shale gas production in the United States. Yes, indeed, Paul. Well, the production of shale gas in the United States has underpinned very low wholesale electric- electricity prices in the United States, and it's making the U.S. extremely competitive again. Mm-hmm. So I think we could be entering a period in where the U.S. is going to become very competitive in the global scale on manufacturing. Mm -hmm. And this is right at the time when Europe is entering problems, and I think China is going to have problems. And China is going to see upward pressure on their cheapest commodity, which is labor. Mm -hmm. So as Chinese manufacturing costs rise, U.S., uh, electrical costs and, and manufacturing costs could stabilize and make the U.S. very competitive. That's mm-hmm. going to be very good for the U.S. dollar. So I really think that uh, the fear that's crept into the market is now overdone. It's over. Mm-hmm. And it's going to take many years for the fear to go away. But in that time span, the price of gold is going to start reflecting the new reality. Mm-hmm which is that the crisis in the United States, at least, is behind us now. Mm-hmm. Well, that's uh, certainly an optimistic point. Uh, I think I would ask you, Paul, then uh, what Adrian asked a moment ago, what are you investing in? Certainly, this is a good news, I think, a good news story for the United States. I agree wholeheartedly with you. And, and when we spoke to Rick Rule and Doug Casey uh, a few weeks back, uh, they were turning bullish on America for for much the same reason, I think, is because of this this bull market uh, or this uh, new technology that is allowing inexpensive energy in the United States. And certainly my uh, birth city, which was uh, Canton, Ohio, I heard on Bloomberg recently that they are just recently built a steel mill there to uh, to produce the pipes that are being used, and so there are jobs being created there. I think this is the kind of thing that could happen throughout the economy. But uh, wh- what is your view then for gold, uh, Paul? You In your model, what sort of target prices are you looking for? Um, I don't have a target price for gold because, again, it's a, it's, it's a question I don't have an answer for. Mm-hmm. I have a value of mm-hmm. gold, and I think gold's worth around $900 an ounce, mm-hmm. U.S. dollars an ounce. Mm-hmm. If gold is substantially higher than $900 an ounce, I think it's overpriced. I don't want to buy too much of it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I want to be selling it. 
Well, and what does that do for gold mining companies? Not, that's not such good news, I would guess. Well, is it good news or is it bad news? I mm-hmm. mean, if you really actually look at the gold mining companies, you'll, you know, go back to 19, the period 1997 to 2001, gold was trading under $300 an ounce, and, you know, they were barely scraping by. Mm-hmm. But they were scraping by. There were some of them that were, had positive cash flow, not many, but some. But as the gold price increased, look at what happened to the cash costs of these gold mining companies. Mm-hmm. All their production costs increased. And that's by design, because when the gold price increases, what they do is they lower their cutoff grade, meaning they're mining lower grade parts of the ore body, mm-hmm. thereby increasing their production cost but extending the lifespan of the mine. Mm-hmm. When the gold price comes down, they do the opposite. Mm-hmm. They increase the cutoff grade, meaning mm-hmm. they mine higher grade parts of the ore body, lowers their production cost, and they stay in business. Yeah. Okay, so you know, one... It's ridiculous to think that you get the, the, the pure leverage from the gold mining stock. I did believe that in one case, in mm-hmm. some case you know, 15 years ago. I did mm-hmm. believe that you would get that leverage. Mm-hmm. But after observing these gold mining stocks for 15 years and learning more about the gold mining industry, mm-hmm. I now don't think you're going to get that. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that the gold mining companies per se are mm-hmm. that great investments. If you mm-hmm. want leverage to gold, buy gold. Mm-hmm. So what uh, I want, I mean, you, you alluded to this earlier, Jay, if I don't like any of these things, what do I like? Yes, well, I still yes. like very that, and then I want to ask Adrian, we are unfortunately out of time. We could go on and on. But tell us, what do you like, Paul? I like businesses. I invest in a business, a very specific business. Adrian does the same thing. If you talk mm-hmm. to Adrian about investments, he'll give you the name of a very specific company. That's what I invest in, in a company, a management team, mm-hmm. a product. Um, sure. And, and we, ha- we all have opinions about the macro uh, mm-hmm. environment, but when it comes to investing, uh, you know, I'm investing in companies, in people. Indeed. Uh, Adrian? Any anything you'd like to add to that? What what where are you putting your money, um, your and your clients' money these days? Well, the same thing. I mean, I'm not as I'm clearly not as bearish as Paul is, mm-hmm. um, but 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 yes, I, I I invest in businesses, and those those are businesses whether it's um, you know Singapore companies that uh, are going to benefit from the growth of China but not go out of business if China collapses. Uh, or whether it's gold mining companies like Prospect Generators that, again, will benefit from a strong gold market but mm-hmm. don't go out of business if gold collapses. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at businesses, businesses with good management and businesses with good balance sheets. Mm-hmm. Excellent advice from both of you. Unfortunately, we are out of time. Uh, we have to go to a commercial break, and when we come back, we are going to talk to uh, what I believe both of you would agree is a good business model, that's the project generator, and we didn't have time to get into that today, perhaps some other time. But we are going to be uh, right back uh, at the uh, – as soon as we come back from the break, we're going to be talking to David Cole. He's the oh. president and CEO of Eurasian Minerals. Great company. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business. 
American Bonanza Gold's Copperstone Project located in Arizona is on track for a fourth quarter 2011 mine and startup process with the goal of achieving full production by the end of the year 2011. American Bonanza is fully funded and permitted with no debit or hedge. The company has a clear strategy to create a highly profitable, mid-tier gold-producing company beginning in fourth quarter 2011. Join the current gold bull market. Be a part of a new gold producer in 2011. American Bonanza Gold Corp. Visit the website at AmericanBonanza.com for more exciting information. Don't miss this great opportunity. American Manganese Incorporated controls the largest deposit of manganese in the southwest United States, and their 43101 preliminary economic evaluation includes the potential to be the lowest cost producer of electrolytic manganese in the world. A National Instrument 43101 report of 13.8 billion pounds of indicated and 3.5 billion pounds inferred. Go to www.americanmanganeseinc.com. Rypatch Gold Corp. is an exploration company seeking to build a sizable inventory of gold and silver resource assets in mining-friendly Nevada, the world's fourth richest gold region. This well-funded company now has 1.2 million ounces of gold and gold equivalent in the measured and indicated category, plus 2.7 million ounces of gold and gold equivalent in the inferred category, with ongoing drilling to achieve a goal of 10 million ounces of gold. For more info on RPM, please visit our website at www www.rypatchgold.com Ladies and gentlemen, the reality is that exploration for mineral deposits is risky business, though the rewards for shareholders can be enormous. At Millrock Resources, we don't believe in risking your investment on a treasure hunt. We believe in leveraging shareholder capital to generate projects and partnering with mining giants such as Kinross, Ballet, Inmet, and Tech to fund our exploration in the mining-friendly states of Alaska and Arizona. By utilizing this business model, Millrock Resources increases the potential of finding economic gold and copper deposits and maximizing shareholder wealth. For more information, please visit us at www.millrockresources.com or find us on the TSX Venture under MRO. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and it is really really a pleasure to have with me David Cole. He is the CEO of one of my favorite ways to play the gold share market, and that's through the uh, project generator model. Uh, his company is Eurasian Minerals. It's my company, too, because I do own shares in this company, and I should mention for the sake of full disclosure, Eurasian Minerals is a sponsor to this show, and it is also a company that I have had for a long time, uh, as a recommendation in my newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks, Eurasian Minerals trades in New York under the symbol EMXX and in Toronto under EMX. Uh, I have uh, 53.1 million shares outstanding. Earlier today, I saw the stock was selling at $2.34, giving it a market cap of around $125 million. Welcome, David, to turning hard times into good times. Thank you, Jay. Happy to be here. 
Really good to have you here. Um, I think most of our listeners are now very familiar with the project generator concept, but for the sake of those who may not be, could you just uh, spend perhaps a minute to uh, to tell our listeners what the project generator model is and why uh, it brings with it uh, less risk than perhaps a, a normal mining company might bring with it? Yeah, all happy to. That's a great leading question. You know, I've been passionate about the prospect generation business model now for uh, many, many years, um, and I believe more in the prospect generation business model today than I did yesterday. I continue to be impressed by the power of the prospect generation business model, and that business model in a nutshell, Jay, is we acquire large tracts of mineral real estate utilizing our geological talent to identify prospective min- uh, mineral real estate assets. We acquire those assets and become the landlord, um, and that's different in every country how we do that. Those can be mining claims in the United States or they can be mineral concessions or licenses with various governments in other countries. And we add value to those assets and de-risk them by conducting geological, geophysical, geochemical surveys and um, advance interesting portions of those assets that look like they're prospective for discovery of dominantly copper and gold as our bread and butter. That's where mm-hmm. we tend to focus, but we also have exposure in um, lead, zinc, silver, and, and, and we do work in other commodity spaces as well, but copper and gold is our bread and butter. And then seeking to diversify um, our risk profile on those assets and to leverage the fact that we're the landlord and we have the intellectual capability to advance those assets towards discovery, we form joint ventures with well-funded junior companies and in many cases um, some of the world's largest mining companies Mm -hmm. where they spend the lion's share of the risk capital to advance those assets forward and they invest the monies in the ground, typically the drilling monies, etc., Mm-hmm. And um, by doing that, those are accretive transactions to the Eurasian mineral shareholders, and we're diversifying our risk profile um, throughout our port throughout our throughout our portfolio. Mm-hmm. It's a fabulous model. Well, it's it certainly is a fabulous model, and you're using other people's money to a great extent. You're you're using your intellectual capital to go out and and find great properties and develop them up to the point uh, that the big money has to come in and drill holes and, and do the expensive work, then you bring in these other guys, and that has allowed you to keep your share, your sh- number of shares down, as I just mentioned, about 53 million shares outstanding, which is pretty remarkable. And I know you've done a great job also of husbanding your cash. You've, you've done uh, the money that you've raised, a very small amount of it has gotten, has left your coffers. How, explain that. How can that be if you're not in production or producing any cash flow? Yes, and it, it boils back to that term that you used, which which I um, refer to oftentimes, and that's our OPM. Mm-hmm. Um, so the dominant amount of money that's being spent on our projects is somebody else's money, OPM, and we actually track the OPM expenditures on an annual basis within the company, and that's a key performance indicator. Mm-hmm. And our OPM expenditures within our portfolio has continued to grow throughout the history of the company. Mm-hmm. And we expect OPM this year to be close to $20 million. And so mm-hmm. it's $20 million of Newmont's money and Centera's money and other major companies that we're partnered with and may spend those monies on our assets to advance those. Mm -hmm. That enables us to keep a very low burn rate because a lot of our expenses are billed off to our partners Mm -hmm. and preserve the money that we have in the bank for acquisition opportunities and organic growth to build our portfolio. Mm -hmm. How much money do you have in the bank now? So we're sitting right now with a little over $40 million in cash and tradable securities. Mm-hmm. And that's a substantial percentage of all the money we've ever raised. 
Yeah, it's a it's a nice cash word for a company that has a slow uh, low burn rate. And uh, you have now you're operating in in a, a bunch of different countries, and this is also another aspect of diversification for you at least. Not all project generator uh, companies are involved in so many different com- countries, but you are in the United States and Haiti, Haiti, uh, Australia, Asia, Turkey, um, Europe. I guess. Uh, w- yes, do you have Sweden, one yeah, project, yeah. or are there a couple or a handful of projects that you consider to be your most advanced, or perhaps even flagship properties that investors might want to keep an eye on? We sure do. Um, so first of all, let me just recap briefly, Jay. We have uh, close to 140 properties, mm-hmm. just over 140 properties in 11 countries. And we've taken the prospect generation business model and we've applied it on a global basis quite effectively. And we've done that via a business unit model where we have a business unit manager, which is a very astute geologist that understands the region in which they work, um, the business environment, the geology, the exploration history, and they manage those business units. Uh, to the advantage of the Eurasian mineral shareholders. And so we have those those properties, um, and, and that's how we manage our portfolio globally. Mm-hmm. One question I'd like to ask you before we get into more specifics about your some of your key projects and the more yes. advanced ones, uh, does management own a fair amount of the stock of, of Eurasian minerals? So management and directors combined are in the teens of percent um, on a fully diluted basis. So we're very well aligned with shareholders and mm-hmm. motivated to do the right thing, absolutely. Very, very important issue, yep. I think, because uh, it's not always the case with the junior mining sector, for sure. Well, okay, so what would you like to highlight as a couple of your leading projects? I know I'm somewhat familiar with the one in Haiti. It looks really exciting. Uh, maybe you want to talk about that one or, or whichever sure. one. Sure, talk. We've got a number of flagships, and... Haiti is um, a, a great example, and the market pays very close attention to what's going on there. We're joint ventured with Newmont Mining Corporation, and we we control over 1,100 square miles of mineral real estate in Haiti in a joint venture with Newmont. And all of the ground that we control is has been designated by Newmont as a as a project whereby they are earning in and spending the money on the ground. So right now, 100% of the spend is to Newmont's account on this 1,100 square miles of mineral real estate, and that's contained within six designated projects that were part of a regional strategic alliance. So Newmont had the option to pick designated projects from the regional strategic alliance where we were doing the upfront exploration work, identifying interesting assets, acquiring them in Eurasian Minerals' name, and then doing the deals with Newmont. And now Newmont is spending all the money. We love that. Mm -hmm. Um, And the reason why we're in Haiti, you might say, why Haiti? Uh, you know, Haiti has just an amazing belt of geology that transects through the northern portion of the country, and it also transects through the northern portion of the entire island of Española. Mm-hmm. And that uh, mineral belt that transects through the island of Española is called the Massif de Nord. And that contains one of the largest gold deposits in the Western Hemisphere in the Dominican Republic called Pueblo Viejo. And Pueblo Viejo is a large gold deposit, it's currently owned by a joint venture between Goldcorp and Barrick, and they are in the midst of a $2.5 billion capital expenditure to increase production at that mine. Uh, it's a substantial deposit. I believe the reserves at that, not the resource, but the reserve at Pueblo Viejo exceeds 20 million ounces of gold, making it one of the largest gold deposits in the Western Hemisphere. Mm-hmm. And the rocks uh, that host that deposit and other smaller deposits within the Dominican Republic strike right across the border into Haiti, and we've been exploring on the Haitian side, which has seen substantially less exploration work throughout the history um, of the last few decades. 
and we see just, just some astounding geology there that's prospective for copper and gold, and we're advancing those assets with Newmont's money and, and Newmont's expertise. We talk mm-hmm. about OPM, Jay, and how important it is to have other people's money and the leverage of the prospect generation business model where we're having other people's risk money invested in the ground to benefit our shareholders. Well, another key important aspect of this business is the OPE, other people's expertise. So mm-hmm. we're getting Newmont's social and environmental um, expertise being employed in our properties. We're getting Newmont's geophysicists and geochemists and geologists um, being employed as well. And to have the access to that expertise for the betterment of our assets is a fabulous model. Mm-hmm. Well, you're, you're uh, certainly using uh, Newmont's expertise. How much money are they spending? In the, and how soon might we expect, uh, I know you can't answer this question, that's why I ask it. Sure. How soon, how soon might uh, shareholders expect something big to happen? Well, <laughs> Newmont, I'll answer the first part of the question because that, that one I can answer. Um, they're spending about $8 million a year. Mm-hmm. which is a nice clip. You know, it's a nice expenditure rate. And they continue to come up with very interesting technical results. And, um, you know, discovery is always an extra hole away, right? Yeah. Um, and, and we have had some encouragement, and we have made press releases about some of the encouragement that we've had to date. And Newmont's working hard, and, and uh, the beautiful aspect of the business model is that if they're not successful, we didn't spend much money at all. Mm-hmm. And if you, they are... We have, uh, you know, a very nice lottery ticket mm-hmm. that was paid for by somebody else. And you have lottery tickets in Australia, Asia, uh, Turkey. Uh, I don't know. We only have a couple of minutes left. Sure. Can you talk about maybe what is another project uh, that you'd like to highlight? And then I'd like to ask you about uh, Bullion Monarch, um, also an acquisition that you're in the process of of, uh, of making. What uh, where where next might things sure, get exciting? briefly talk about some of our other flagships because we do have a number of flagships. And this is one of the interesting aspects of the prospect generation business model, Jay, is that we're involved in so many properties worldwide that it's, it's difficult to synthesize it down and say, let's talk about our flagship property. Well, the truth is I've got a dozen flagship properties, right? Yeah. And they're all being advanced by good companies. But certainly our gold discovery in Turkey, uh, which is ongoing, and that's a joint venture with Centera. We've announced a number of different uh, press releases with substantial gold intercepts and drill holes, and, and we're happy to have Sentara as a partner there in western Turkey, a great place to work. That project's moving forward quite nicely, and those are oxide gold intercepts from surface, which is, which is very good from a beneficiation standpoint, uh, and that's a key asset. We have a whole host of properties that are joint ventured with Antofagasta in Sweden as part of a regional strategic mm-hmm. alliance. We're quite pleased with the results there and pleased to have Antofagasta as a partner. Valet, one of the largest mining companies in the world, has chosen to partner with us in the western United States where we've built a portfolio of copper assets. And one of those assets in particular is called Copper Basin, is a project that is my personal favorite in the portfolio. I'm very, very excited about it. And we're happy to have the strength of the second largest mining company in the world behind us in that joint venture. Um, so that one's also a, a property of keynote as well, Jay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, one of the things that really excites me about your company is the possibility or the likelihood, let's say, of an of a acquisition of, of Bullion Monarch. It's a U.S. company, a royalty company that uh, I see uh, earned some six or generated at least six point two million dollars of income uh, in, I think, last year. Uh, is that uh, is that acquisition going forward? Is that uh, merger? Is it happening? Yes, and it when is. Might it close? We've made a press release about that. 
Mm-hmm. And um, all the information that has been made public is easily accessible by the public to read the press releases that are put out by Bullion Monarch and Eurasia Minerals. Mm-hmm. And we're very excited. One of the, one of the aspects of, the, of a well-run prospect generation business model is the organic growth of royalties over time. Because mm-hmm. in many cases, what we end up with is a royalty on a property mm-hmm. or carried interest in a property. And a carried interest in a royalty are similar uh, financial uh, um, project equity holdings. And a well-run prospect, prospect generator ends up with a portfolio of cash-flowing royalties over time. In addition to organically building our royalty portfolio, we also are constantly looking for acquisition opportunities where there are key royalties that we can buy at a reasonable price. And we bought one in Sweden that was distinctly undervalued and ended up leveraging those assets into the deal with Antofagasta. Mm-hmm. And now we're moving ahead with this substantial purchase of Bullion Monarch mm-hmm. and the cash-flowing royalties on the Carlin trend, which is some of the most prospective mineral real estate in North America, mm-hmm. and with Newmont operating on the Carlin trend. And this, the royalties that Bullion Monarch has on the Carlin trend are substantial. You can go on their website and see those and see their financials. And that's the driver behind our interest in Bullion Monarch. Mm-hmm. And to have the opportunity to augment our organic growth of our royalty portfolio with a key purchase is distinctly to the benefit of our shareholders, in my opinion. Yeah, it, it certainly looks uh, exciting. And it, uh, as I was looking over Bullion Monarch's portfolio, they have a lot of very interesting uh, prospects for growth, uh, I would think, as well, in terms of the royalties that they receive it or as the combined company will receive uh, if, it, if the merger indeed goes forward. What is the uh, target deadline or the target date for closing, or is that impossible to say at this point in time? Well, there's a lot of variables involved, which would include the SEC. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but, uh, you know, I, I think that we should have this sewn up by, by May. Okay. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, we're out of time. Uh, thank you very much for coming on. It's been a pleasure talking with you. I really find this uh, to be a very exciting company, one that I have invested in, as I told my listeners. Uh, I want to have you back sometime again to talk more about this company. It is really uh, worth talking about and listening uh, and keeping track of. What's your, your website would be what? EurasianMinerals.com, Jay. EurasianMinerals.com, very simple, correct. very straightforward. Folks, don't go away. I'll be right back with my partner, Roger Wiegand, for some closing thoughts on today's show. Don't go away. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. American Bonanza Gold's Copperstone Project, located in Arizona, is on track for a fourth quarter 2011 mine and startup process with the goal of achieving full production by the end of the year 2011. American Bonanza is fully funded and permitted with no debit or hedge. The company has a clear strategy to create a highly profitable, mid-tier gold-producing company beginning in fourth quarter 2011. Join the current gold bull market. Be a part of a new gold producer in 2011. American Bonanza Gold Corp. Visit the website at American AmericanBonanza.com for more exciting information. Don't miss this great opportunity. American Manganese Incorporated controls the largest deposit of manganese in the southwest United States, and their 43101 preliminary economic evaluation includes the potential to be the lowest cost producer of electrolytic manganese in the world. A National Instrument 43101 report of 13.8 billion pounds of indicated and 3.5 billion pounds inferred. Go to www.americanmanganeseinc.com. 
Rypatch Gold Corp. is an exploration company seeking to build a sizable inventory of gold and silver resource assets in mining-friendly Nevada, the world's fourth richest gold region. This well-funded company now has 1.2 million ounces of gold and gold equivalent in the measured and indicated category, plus 2.7 million ounces of gold and gold equivalent in the inferred category, with ongoing drilling to achieve a goal of 10 million ounces of gold. For more info on RPM, please visit our website at www.rypatchgold.com. Ladies and gentlemen, the reality is that exploration for mineral deposits is risky business, though the rewards for shareholders can be enormous. At Millrock Resources, we don't believe in risking your investment on a treasure hunt. We believe in leveraging shareholder capital to generate projects and partnering with mining giants such as Kinross, Ballet, Inmet, and Tech to fund our exploration in the mining-friendly states of Alaska and Arizona. By utilizing this business model, Millrock Resources increases the potential of finding economic gold and copper deposits and maximizing shareholder wealth. For more information, Please visit us at www.millrockresources.com or find us on the TSX Venture under MRO. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. We've only got a couple of minutes left here. We've got Roger Wiegand with us and uh, for some comments on today's gold uh, markets. We saw a very sharp decline in excess of 30 bucks. Uh, Roger, what happened? Well, FOMC came out with some news, and it had to do with quantitative easing, and immediately gold dropped about 30 bucks, but it's supported at 1646 right now on the June. Uh, silver doesn't look that bad at 3262. The trends remain intact. We don't see any severe selling in broader stocks or PM stocks over the next four to six weeks. It'll just be pretty much the normal markets. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much what we see right now. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, it, uh, you talk about the quantitative easing. Are they saying that there's not likely to be any QE? And that's if that's pretty what much the what FOMC they're saying, and, and first they hinted at it, and then they said no. And then they talked about, you know, the silliness of the jobs report. You and I know what, what reality is on that. But, Roger, uh, let me just ask you, the FOMC, is, is the message from the FOMC that there is not likely to be more QE? That's true, but, I mean, uh, the reality of it is they've been doing it since July 1st. All right. Well, anyway, I only ask you again, reiterate that, because Paul Van Eden, who was on the show, was predicting there would be no more QE, so we'll see how that plays out. Either way... Um, so what are the charts telling you about gold and, uh, let's say, the markets, the, the big markets in general? What are your Well, reports? the big markets in general remain intact. They were a little bit soft today, but overall we're looking for uh, higher in almost all the stock indexes. I agree with Paul Eden. They're, they're, Paul Van Eden, they're probably not going to be any more QE as far as them, them coming out and saying it, but they have been doing it because Bernanke, at this particular point, uh, by by a uh, report on a top analyst, Bernanke's been owning about 80% of the stuff he's auctioned in the past few weeks. 
So, you know, the news has really been around. Uh, it's quite unrealistic. The trend remains in position. I know a lot of people have been hand-wringing over the uh, uh, gold and silver stocks, but a little more patience, and I think we're going to be fine. Well, we'll uh, time will tell for sure, and I know that I've taken a more cautious uh, view of the markets in general, and on days like this, I feel like I made the right call, and days like yesterday, I feel I made the wrong call. So that's what makes markets, it's not easy investing. If it were, there would be, you know, everybody would be successful. So there are always winners and there's losers in this market, and uh, that's the way it goes. Well, I want to thank you, Roger, for coming on. Uh, I want to let people know that next week we're going to have Larry Surma, uh, Saruma, his name is, and he's the founder of the managing uh, principal. He's uh, actually he's a founder and managing principal of Nile Capital Management Company. And that's a, a company that uh, is investing in Africa, various African funds, uh, African in, uh, businesses. Uh, sort of an interesting, uh, interesting story. Certainly, Africa is is a scary place for a lot of people to invest. One of uh, Chen Lin's biggest investments, of course. Uh, is Mart Resources in Nigeria, so we'll be asking uh, Larry about that, about uh, Nigeria and other countries there. We're also going to be talking to Jim Lyles, and Jim Lyles has been on this show before. I really like him for his uh, commodity market expertise, and Jim will be uh, at the Wealth Protection uh, Conference along with Roger. He'll be there, uh, Ian McAvity, uh, a number of other people. Uh, will be there as well that I've uh, mentioned earlier on this show. Uh, so we hope that you all check that out as well. We gave you the uh, the number to call and the way to uh, buysilvernow.com is the website to go to uh, to go to that very interesting and informative and valuable conference in Tempe, Arizona on the 26th and 27th. And Roger Wiegand will have a special seminar on the 26th. Uh, that's all the time we have for this week. I uh, hope you'll be back next week. Um, I want to thank Tacey Trump and Justin Jackman. Tacey is my producer, Justin Jackman, my engineer, for making the show logistically possible. And thanks to each of you for listening, making this the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. Until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.